It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. As each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest. We occasionally have a national topic. We have a gambling segment on many occasions and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Twitterverse. Hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. It does not have to be a sports question, although we get those from time to time. Honestly, the goofier, the better for me. Uh, Rick, I have enjoyed this NCAA tournament immensely. Other than watching guys jump at jump shooters and foul them beyond the three-point arc, it's making me crazy as a coach, but I guess it is what it is. But I got to tell you, um, this tournament we all thought going in was going to be crazy and weird things were going to happen, and it really has not disappointed whatsoever. Yeah, I, I hate to be prisoner of the moment guy. I always try to avoid that. But seriously, is this not one of the more memorable, exciting, upset-filled tournaments in, in recent history? I mean, I feel like we almost say that every year, but this one really feels a little different to me. It, it's been crazy since the start. Well, I mean, you know, you you see a, a 16 win, a 15 win, a 13 in Furman win, a 14 in Kennesaw scare, scare the daylights out of Xavier. Um, so, yes, it, it, I think it has been. I, I think it's you know, that speaks for itself. A year ago, I believe I've read the average win margin for number one seeds was over 25 points in the first round in the first round. Yeah. This year you had a, a 16 seed pull off the upset. And we're going to talk about the NKU game here in a second. Right. You had another 16-1 game that was very good till the final minutes. Yeah, no, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's going to the, the the fact that 16 beat a one is going to skew the, the the margin completely. But no, I mean, it, it's it, it has been it's been fun to watch. Big moments. Um, it, it really has been. I mean, it it's it it is it has been one of the best ones I've seen in a long time. And I go back way further than you go back. All right, let's get into the local teams in action. Xavier, of course, is on to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017. They beat Kennesaw State 72-67 in that first round game you were talking about where they struggled mightily for about 32 minutes or so and then poured it on a team that just wasn't as talented as them. And then in the second round, they handed it to Pittsburgh. 84-73 was the final, and to be honest with you, the game wasn't that close. It was a 20-point game in the second half, and they, they didn't score for the final like six or so minutes in terms of field goals. They they made just enough free throws to hang on. They'll face Texas in the Sweet 16 this Friday, the last game of the night, somewhere around 10 o'clock. It'll likely tip off. Skinny, what'd you make of Xavier's performance over the first weekend of the tournament? Yeah, I, I know people are going to point to the Kennesaw State game and, and say that's why Xavier can't go much further than where it's gone. And, and I don't. I mean, I, you, it's just it's the tournament and you got to find a way to win. And down 13, they found a way to come back and, and win. And then you're right. I thought I mean, that first half was an utter clinic against Pitt. Um, you know, they did struggle a little bit down the stretch at the foul line. Um, you know, Desmond Claude struggled there, but he was one of six guys to score in double figures. But that first half. So I was writing a running game story to put on our website as soon as the game was over, right? About 500 words worth. And and so I usually write a little quick first half synopsis at the bottom of the story when the first half is over. And I had the box score up and I wasn't paying close, close attention. And when I wrote the sentence of Xavier's 19 first half field goals, there were assists on 17 of them. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that, that is a clinic, man. And this team offensively is good enough and I'm going to say it. I don't think they pull this off because they got a lot of mountains to climb here uh, based on seeds. This team offensively is good enough to win this thing. We've been talking 
all year about what are the expectations for this team? What is their upside in terms of making a tournament run? And I have stuck to, I think they can be a second weekend team. They have now proven that they're into the sweet 16. I think there's no doubt they have an opportunity to win this Texas game. I don't think they're going to be favored. I think it's going to be really difficult. It's a tough matchup for them, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that they win it. And then, I mean, it's going to be tough to pull off an elite eight win. It, It is any time you're there. And this year in their region, it's pretty chalky. So, I mean, you're likely to probably face Houston, I would right. think. And that's definitely not going to be easy for this Xavier team. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I see them getting to a final four this year and certainly not winning at all. But to your point, the way they played against Creighton in the semifinals of the Bees tournament and the way they played against Pittsburgh in the second round of the NCAA tournament, that team right there, that's capable of beating anyone in the country. When they play like that offensively, they're moving the ball like that. They're making shots. Everyone's playing pretty well, aside from Sule Boom through the first two rounds. I want to ask you about him. But if they're playing like that, they can compete with anyone in the country. That's their A game, and it's good enough. Yeah, there's no question. And and, and that's the point. You know, I, I think offensively they are good enough, and they have done that with, with Sule Boom going through a little bit of a rut. Now, he had obviously a, a big second half when he scored all 14 of his points and you look up and he also had seven rebounds and five assists. So he did a lot of things in that game to win. Um, but are, are, would you be concerned about him as a Xavier fan? I, I no, um, I, I can't put my finger on why he's in the rut. He's in offensively. I mean, could we argue it's minutes? Could we argue now that you're playing literally elite teams going forward that maybe it's why you see he was at UTEP, and I'm not buying that because he played in the Big East all year and excelled all, all season. Yeah, and long. Kennesaw State isn't that either, by the yeah, way. Right. Like, so, no, and, right. and he really struggled right. against them. So right. it's like, is it something about the bright lights? Is he worn down? Because now if you go back to the Big East Championship, the game against Marquette, where no one really played well, but he certainly struggled in that one. That's three straight games that were high-leverage games where he's, I wouldn't say been a no-show, but he certainly struggled with his shot on the offensive end. Yeah, I just I just wonder, like, I, I've I've been asking Xavier fans about that since the win over Pittsburgh. Like, at some point, do you start worried about Sule or is this just a, a couple game funk? And he's been so good all year that it's amazing this team has been able to win without him. But y- you feel more like he's due than anything else. Yeah, and I think that's where I would go with it. I think he's I feel like more like he's due. Um, I, I give him this. He, he doesn't lack for confidence. He doesn't stop looking to score and start yeah. and, and look to create. But at the same time, I didn't think he really forced anything. I think he kind of let that game come to him in the second half. And you look up. I mean, let's not forget again. He had 14 points in a half. I mean, that's that's pretty good production for a half of basketball, right? Well, and to your point, he filled up the stat sheet, too. Like, if yeah. you don't look at his field goal attempts where he was like two for 13 or three for 13 or whatever it was, it looks like he had a good game. It's like 14, seven, five, right. two or three steals, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, to, to that point, he did end up putting up some numbers in the second half and his points always get inflated at the end of the game because he becomes the designated free throw shooter sure, when teams are fouling. Yeah. yeah and he, he, he should be, he's a closer and he hasn't been shaken in that regard at all. He was still clutched down the stretch, put the game away for him against Pittsburgh when they couldn't put the ball in the basket on the offensive end, he was able to step up and, and make some free throws. So it's not like he hasn't been a factor. It's not like he hasn't done some good things, but he definitely has not been himself on the offensive end. We had a couple of questions that were submitted for ask any anything, but they were related directly to sure. Xavier in this game. So I want to ask him to you now, yeah. Ryan, our guy who, who chimes in all the time. He asks if Xavier is in the final four, it's because of blank fill in that blank skinny. Well, that's a good one. 
If Xavier is in the final know, four, yeah. it's because of blank. Um, I'll go with teamwork because I, I I think that's a big part. The way they move the ball, they're hard to guard. Yeah, I'll go with teamwork. I know that sounds very cliche-ish and, and simple-minded, but I'm not sure what other answer I, I could give you for that. Because of I can't say it's because of luck. I mean, it wouldn't be because of that. Um, no, I'm going to go because of teamwork. They're hard, they're hard to guard. When they're playing like they did against Pittsburgh, and again, I would throw that Creighton game in the semifinals of the Big East tournament in there too as the same type of performance. I don't know exactly how to say it, and probably teamwork's just the best way to do a kind of all-encompassing term here, but you're right. There's something about the way they're moving the ball in those games where their offense is just so crisp and on point that that that's their path. I mean, no matter what, they, they have to play well defensively. They have to rebound. They have to do other things, but their path is being an elite offense the rest of the way. If they can play at that level, move the ball at that level, and be that efficient, they've got a chance. I yeah, and, that, and, that, and, that, and I think we've seen that – this isn't like a one-off. We've seen them do that a lot this season. They they just they have so many people, and now that that Jerome Hunter's giving them some some real consistent offense. Yeah. Now maybe he doesn't do that against bigger front lines. I don't know, but he certainly has done it these two tournament games and been great in doing so. And that gives them another punch. And Desmond Claude, the con- I, I know he didn't show confidence at the foul line down the stretch. He really didn't. But. Right. Otherwise, I thought he showed a ton of confidence in, in these games. Agree. I mean, he played 31 minutes in that game against Pittsburgh, had some great moments in it. I thought it was one of his better games, aside from obviously he struggled, missed five free throws in the, in the clutch minutes there at the end. So that's a freshman in the tournament. He's going to make some mistakes. You, you can live with that if he gives you 31 minutes of good defense and playing confidently on the offensive end. Uh, the second question that came through, Skinny, was with Xavier being the second game in Kansas City, what time do you leave the bar to head to the arena? Is it prior to the start of the first game, at halftime of the first game, or after the first game? Of course, that first game will be Houston versus Miami. Yeah, I'm such a nerd bucket. I'd go to the first game. I'd, I'd do my, I'd do more day drinking, I think. But yes, if you're going to stay, I, I certainly would leave, I'd say at least at halftime of the first game, to at least get a little flavor for the first game, get comfortable in your seat, and honestly... At that point, you got to let the buzz start to wear off a little bit so you can enjoy the the Xavier game without being a total drunk and not even knowing what took place in that game, right? That's the right call. First of all, I don't even know. Like, do they serve alcohol at these things? Uh, I would assume so. I mean, it used to be obviously NCAA events. They did not. But I mean, that, that's been laxed for years. Yeah, um, I think it depends on the location probably, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm going to guess Kansas City feels like a good old beer drinking town to me. I, I know I know for a fact I was just there a couple of months ago. I drank a lot of beers in Kansas City. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I think they would be able to. I'm not sure. So that changes it a little bit, too, if you can grab another pop at the game, if you want to go. I would say if you don't care at all about Houston, Miami, you're not like a big basketball guy, you're just a Xavier fan, then, yeah, leave at halftime, catch the second half, and yeah, get settled in. in. Just in ca- and just in case, I mean. You don't want to be scrambling in between well, games. You don't want to be scrambling, and what if there's an upset on the line and just the the, the, the atmosphere of an upset is always really cool to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, this isn't going to be a huge up- upset. Miami beating Houston wouldn't be crazy, but no, but no, but it would still be an upset. I mean, you're still yeah. not going to one seat out for goodness sakes. Your, your paths, at least on paper gets easier. So yeah, but, and you know what, what I'm talking about is, is kind of the, the neutral fans that are there, right? The Xavier yeah. fans um, and, and, um, and the other fans who aren't part of either Houston or Miami, they're getting behind the underdog. That always happens. 
Yeah, I mean, NKU benefited from that being in right. Birmingham with all right. the Auburn fans. Right. So, uh, yeah, I I think you go at halftime at the very least. But if it's me, I'm going before the game. The Houston Miami game is going to be a great one. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. I'm I'm I'm. I, listen, I would do some day drinking and then be sure to be there for both parts of the doubleheader for sure. By the way, did you, you did you give your answer to the first question or did you agree with me on the teamwork aspect? Uh, I like the teamwork answer. I think uh, if Xavier's in the final four, I would maybe just, and this goes into your answer. I would just, they shot well, they shot well okay. from three. I mean, to, to me, it's all about their offense. And if they, if they can continue to hit threes, they've got a real chance. If they go cold, they have another game kind of like Kennesaw state where they're ice cold early and, and they're not themselves. Then yeah, they're going to lose. Yeah. And I don't know if Ryan was looking for a specific player, Maybe he was looking for Sule Boom to be the answer of you know he that he bounces back and 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 you know scores thirty. I I I I just it's hard for me to point to one specific player on that team. If you're looking for one guy that has to be really good, I think Jack Nudgy. And, and yeah. I'm partly saying that because I think the matchup with Texas is his for the taking. They don't have a big front court. Uh, I know Dis- Dylan DeSue is playing really well lately, but he's not an overwhelming defender. He can block some shots. But he's only six nine. He's not the strongest guy in the world. This is a game where I think Jack Nunji can give Xavier a big lift inside if he's on well, top of his game. And that's the one thing that makes the Xavier so hard is a a that 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 motion offense that they they run. They they really are hard to to you know. Nunji gets in the post. He doesn't just he's just not stationary in the post. He'll duck to the post quickly. He's almost impossible to double, and they're impossible to double because of the shooters around him. Yeah. So I, if, if, if there's one guy that you want us to point to, Nunji would be my answer for that. All Fair right, enough. anything else on the Xavier side of things, or you want to move on to Kentucky now? Uh, no, I, 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 I think the one thing I would say is I think I'm with you is, is this felt like it would have been disappointing for this team to not make the second weekend. And honestly, now that they have, I don't want to say it's gravy, but it kind of feels that way. Yeah, I, I said that on uh, my Xavier postgame show the other night, which we've been doing on Twitter spaces. If you're a Xavier fan and – you're into that type of thing. Please check that out and, and join in. They've been going really well. But um, I, I said that I, I think even the most greedy fans, the craziest fans online that are still mad at the end of the season when they're losing to Marquette in the Big East championship game and, and criticizing the team or the coaching, I think even those people right now are done being greedy. I think they're like, all right, this year was incredible. It was a great success. Anything past this point is just the cherry on top. Getting back to the second weekend and Sean Miller's first year without his own players, without the roster that he really wanted is, is a really impressive job by the staff. All right, let's go on to Kentucky skinny. The Wildcats beat Providence 61 to 53 in the first round. They're able to take down Bryce Hopkins, but they fall apart in the second round. They lose to Kansas state 75, 69, just couldn't get themselves together in the final minutes of that game. And to Kansas state's credit, their guys made some shots, made well, some two, yeah. big the time two. shots at the end of the game. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on Kentucky's exit in the second round? I mean, that game was the microcosm of this season. The stretches of when they got up eight twice, eight early in the game, looked like they had a couple of opportunities with a couple of stops to really take control of that game and couldn't. And Kansas State quickly rebounded the tie and eventually led it the half. And then, boom, first play of the second half, Kansas State scores. And then Kentucky goes on a 13-0 run to go up by eight again. And you're thinking, 
okay, they're about to take control of this game, and they just never could. And uh, it was a season in a microcosm. It was a couple of guys having super performances, Oscar Shibway and Kaysen Wallace, and Antonio Reeves not. And there were nights where Antonio Reeves had super performances, and Oscar Shibway did not. I mean, it, it, it was completely the microcosm of this season for that team. I, I agree with you to some extent, but I would also push back in the sense that I thought this game was a little bit different from a lot of the UK losses this year because a lot of games where UK struggled, they were terrible. They didn't have a chance. It was not about the other team beating them so much. It was typically about UK not showing up, not playing well, not playing the type of basketball that has won them games throughout the course of the season and being a completely different team. In this game, I thought they actually played pretty well. Now, you, yeah, you can yeah, obviously no, point I, to Antonio yeah. Reeves shooting really poorly, but I yeah, thought the I mean, team showed up and played well. Now, you can talk about the last couple minutes where they struggled down the stretch, and that was an issue all year in close games. But I thought Kansas State beat them. They, they made Their dudes made shots at the end of that game to beat Kentucky. I didn't think Kentucky beat themselves as much as they had in other games by just not playing up to the standard. That's probably fair. Yeah, that's probably fair. I, I just uh, inconsistency is the word you'd use for the yes. whole season. And I thought there were inconsistent moments in that game. Again, it just never felt like everybody in a game was on, was, was on their a game at the same time. Um, it always felt like there was a piece missing here and there. And in this game, the piece missing was Antonio Reeves could not make a shot and he's your shot maker. Um, and it's, it's, it's on him. I mean, you got to make, you got to make open shots when you're the shot maker and he did not. And you're right. I mean, they couldn't guard the point guard. Um, he was better than them. And the two, the two threes at the end, especially the one that Johnson hit to, to make it a, a two possession game, make it a five point lead was ridiculously deep with a hand in his face. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those tip your cap moments that, well, that wasn't right. something you did wrong. It was just, now there were other plays along the way that maybe you would have been in that position, but at that point, it's the NCAA tournament, and it's just up to who's going to make the play. And to Keontae Johnson's credit, he made a big-time shot right there. What did you think about Cal's comments after the game? Of course, their point guard, Marquise Noel, played outstanding, scored 27 points, was really good. He had a couple of big shots at the end, too. After the game, Cal was on the microphone calling him the little kid and and not saying his last name properly, calling him Hal instead of Noel. Uh the, what do you think of that? Were you bothered? A lot of people got offended by it and said Cal was and, being offensive. And, and, and Cal did apologize uh, to yeah, the kid as well. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't honestly, I'll be frank. I, as much as criticism as you can give Cal about a lot of things, I don't think he meant anything by it. I don't really, um, I, 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 I don't do think he did. I do think, really? he, I, don't. I think he's a bit of a sore loser. He's done this before. And it's funny because UK fans started pointing to the fact that there was a quote from back when Tyler Eulis played where Cal said, I, I call him little guy or little kid or something like that. And he, and he said, and it drives Tyler crazy. He gets so mad at me, but I call him that. He can really play. I like, I love coaching him, all that stuff, but he's, but he's a little kid or something like that. And like Cal admitted that it was a derogatory term, even for Tyler Eulis. So UK fans were using that to defend him. Like, oh, see, he used to call his own players. This. I'm like, yeah. And he also admitted it drove Tyler Eulis crazy. Let me ask you this, Kenny. Have you ever met a short man who likes to be told that they're short? I'm a short guy. It doesn't bother me. Okay. You're the first one in history. And I think most people would say some it, of your personality comes from your height. So. No, there's they Trust me, dude. There's no question about that. A absolutely. So I just, I take it and run with it. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a big deal or anything that he should be chastised for, but I do think the way he was talking about Marquis after the game was a little bit of sore loser cow coming out. I mean, it, the, the little kid hit a shot against us and calling him by not what his last name is. I mean, Cal knows what the kid's last name is. They just prepared for him all week. 
Come on. I don't know, man. I, I will say coaches are funny a lot of times. More well, so basketball coaches. funny. Yeah, no, more. I think more so basketball coaches know names more than football coaches because there's so many of there's them. There's only five a lot of guys of them. that go, go 59 is really good or 75, boy, 75 is really good. Yeah. They, they forget names, and I get that part of it. Basketball, you're right. I mean, usually you know the name. It's The name is literally on the scouting report you're handing out, so you know the guy's name. Um, you may not know how to pronounce it. That's possible, too. I mean, it does. I, listen, I've gone to coaches before as a broadcaster. And again, this is the high school level and, and actually sometimes the college level of, of just to, to clarify with sports information people. And a lot of times coaches don't know how to pronounce guys names. They just don't. Yeah. And I, I get that. And again, I do not think this is a big deal at all. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I just I thought it was funny a little bit because we've talked about Cal and in the media and him losing his touch a bit. And I thought this was one of those moments where it's just like, he's just being a sore loser right now. I don't care. It's not a big deal, but he is being a sore loser. I'm not well, buying the whole, like, I'm sorry, my bad. I'm going to call him and apologize. I didn't mean anything by it. I, I think you can see it on his face. He looks worn out. Yeah, he does. I mean, I know we keep going back and forth about this. It was a conversation during the season. And realistically, with his buyout in place in the situation, nothing's going to happen. But... I mean, do, do you get it right now where the, I mean, the UK fans are obviously restless? Do you think it's it's warranted at this point that there are more people probably than not that now want to move on from Calipari? I think it's completely warranted. I, I do. I think it's completely, especially with a lot of stuff he's talked about where the SEC tournament doesn't mean anything to him. And, you know, I'm here for the kids and I'm not here to win national championships. And uh, I'm here for a bigger purpose than winning games. <laughs> People don't want to hear that, man. You, you, you can talk about that stuff when you're winning games and winning big. But, I mean, this program has has not gotten to the second weekend since 2019. That's a long time for Kentucky to not make the second weekend. COVID year thrown in there or not. That's true. All right, NKU. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me do this. And, and Rick, you, 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 were, you remember enough of, of the Tubby Smith era to know, um, you know, how many people were, were really – on him, you know, 10 lost tubby and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, some of his struggles. Can you imagine if he was going through this right now? That's There's no way point. he would survive this. Yeah, because, I mean, the big knock on tubby, it was people were always able to say, well, he's not recruiting to UK standard. That's why he's not good enough to coach here. Right. Like, he doesn't have the talent to win here. He can't recruit here. And to some extent, I think there was some truth to that. Tubby no, was I don't, I at his best coaching lesser talented teams that overachieved. That was when Tubby was at his best anywhere he went. Um, so I, I do kind of agree with people on that. But to your point, he was always more successful than this run that Cal has had. Yes. Yes. Never missed an NCAA tournament. I can tell you that. Played a whole lot tougher regular season non-conference schedule than they played today. I can tell you that. Well, and he certainly cared about more of the things that UK fans care about. Yes. And, and made that obvious to them. I, you bring up a good point about all the, the Cal stuff, you know, the whole, I mean, the one and done is one thing, but all the other things that he says throughout the course of the season that has always driven UK fans crazy, or at least a certain segment of them. And now that he's struggling like this and they're not advancing in the tournament. Yeah. It, that message has gotten old real quick with the fan base. And, and I don't blame him for that at all. Well, and I, I do wonder this and we'll, we'll move on from Kentucky after this. I do wonder this though, Rick, um, you know, the one and done era was great from a talent perspective. I just, it, 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 I grew up in an era where you got to know players for three or four years. I I'm old in that regard, but I do wonder this about Cal. He's going back to a one and done class basically next year. And I do wonder if, if those are the guys he can coach that getting guys through the portal, 
having veterans around who've heard his spiel for a while, guys who've gotten bad habits or whatever habits from other programs that are hard to break that maybe he just can't break. Yep. Um, you know, some of the ways that he puts pressure on some of those guys that like you miss a couple of shots and out you'll come. Um, you know, maybe he's just much better with younger kids that are more impressionable. I don't know. Or maybe it literally is just he's better when he's got better talent like everybody else. I think that's a big part of it. And I also think part of it is his defense is so important. We've come to realize that, I think, especially with this year's team. If his team can't get to the level he needs it to defensively, then I don't think he has that fallback safety net underneath of him if the offense isn't going right. And part of the problem with him going through the transfer portal, trying to get more skilled, trying to add more shooters the last couple of years, is you've now taken away that athleticism, that length, the elite talents that you've had in the past that have covered up some of those issues, especially on the defensive end. Now, all of a sudden you've got a defense that out that's outside the top 100, which has right. never happened since he's been at Kentucky. It makes it a whole lot different. And, and you better be much better offensively. And he hasn't been able to flip that switch yet. So no. if he's going to continue to do this mismatch makeup roster thing, where he's got a guy like an Antonio Reeves and, and some of these other guys who aren't the elite athletes that he's had in the past and five-star talents, then he's probably got to change something offensively because this isn't working the combination that he's had right now. And to your point, like next year is going to be much more typical of a Cal roster as he goes back to the high ranked freshman and the one and done type class. Yeah. And, and honestly, the pressure will be on him to, I mean, he don't make the second weekend. I, I can't imagine he doesn't walk away at that point. I, I, I mean, the, 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 the pitchforks will be so, so much out there that I just don't think he can handle that. All right. Well, I mean, we will see that. That is the big question going into next year is do we get to a point where it gets that ugly? And by the time we get to next season, that won't be the narrative. The narrative will be he's got the number one team in the country. He's going to go platoon again and play 10 different players on this team. And he's got two seven footers who might play together. Or he gives you the it's going to take this team some time. Oh, he'll definitely say that. Yeah, (laughs) he will definitely say that. But that the national narrative will once again be Kentucky's top one or two in the country and we'll do that whole dance again. And then Kentucky fans will be pissed off when they lose their first game. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but I am fascinated to watch where this Kentucky program goes from here because it's a, it's a unique situation to kind of have Cal in this lifetime contract deal that they've put together and see him struggling the way he is. Yep. All right, let's get to NKU here. The Norse represented Highland Heights. Well, but in the end, they just couldn't make enough shots. They lost to Houston 63-52. to 52. They were within a possession or two in the final minutes of the game, and they just couldn't get anything to, to go down skinny. What was your takeaway from the Norse's trip to Birmingham? Why did they shoot so many threes? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I thought they played great. I, I think I, I, I might have predicted on the air 70-48 to 48 when I was on with Mo Egger on, on – uh, Thursday on his show on ESPN 1530. I said, I said, I think NKU's gonna have a hard time getting to 50 and they did. I mean, they barely got over 50, but they also held, held Houston to 63 and were very much in the, in that game and, and kudos to them because I, I just thought from a matchup perspective, it was a nightmare matchup for NKU. I, I think I even said, I said, they're gonna be lucky to get two offensive rebounds. Well, thanks to some of those missed threes, they got a bunch of offensive rebounds, double digit yep. offensive rebounds. Um, but in the end, Houston is just really good and found a way to win. They've done that in both games. I mean, down 10 at the half to Auburn. Auburn's got 41 points. And I'm thinking, man, is Houston really going to give up 70? No, they're really not. <laughs> because when they turn the switch on defensively, they are really, really good. And that's why you got to launch threes and hope to make some. Five for 33, it sucks. And that's what really sucks is how many of the 33 threes, Rick, were bad looks in your opinion? 
the first half, I'd say there's probably four, maybe okay. even five of them that were bad sure. looks. The second half, I don't know if there was a single one. Right. And I mean, so they got just, so many clean looks in the second half. And that's frustrating. You can argue that some of it's probably it's rushed. You're in a different shooting environment. That's a, I think we've seen scores be low in some of these arenas and maybe some of these arenas. It's just the, the shooting background is bad for guys. Um, I think the so, bigger thing for NKU maybe, in this well, game was maybe, being maybe exhausted the, from defense. Well, it, well, there's that too. They that, played that, so hard on that. In, right. I think that factors in too. Although I think as we saw in, was it Greensboro or Birmingham? Which was the one that didn't have the right, it was, it was Greensboro that, that didn't have the level rims, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And unfortunately, NKU couldn't lean on that excuse. No, but, good point. Good point. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I thought, you know, and, and to add a little bit to this, I was obviously at practices the the two days leading up to the game in Birmingham and at shoot around that morning. And when I tell you they laid out this game plan and basically predicted everything that was going to happen in the game, it couldn't have been more perfect. Like Darren Horn's refrain at shoot around at practice the days before is we're going to set an NCAA record for most threes attempted in this game. And he kept saying like, be aggressive, take the open three as soon as you get it. And then we're going to go rebound the hell out of it. And you space back to your open spot. And this whole thing is Chris Brandon, Trey Robinson, their, their interior players all year have been great at crashing the glass from the perimeter and then tipping out long rebounds to their guards and getting second chance looks from the outside. They did that to perfection. in The second half of this game, I think they had like 17 offensive rebounds. Yeah. And most of those led to second chance threes that were wide open in rhythm shots. And that's the, thing, that's the thing, those, you know, you always hear about the inside out stuff of shots. And I'm a big inside out guy, too, because you're squared up in the basket. Those are perfect inside out opportunities to tip back. The second chance three pointer is basically the best shot in all of basket. I agree it's, with you. It's such a high percentage shot and you're wide open. You're in rhythm. You're stepping into it. It's as good as it gets. And they just couldn't put it down. And that that's hard to swallow, because if you shoot 25 percent instead of 17, you win the game. Right. You're not even asking to shoot the. The proverbial 33% of your threes, right? Right. And then you add in the fact that Mark West Warwick, their leading scorer, struggled so much. And a lot of that has to do with Houston Defense. is really good defensively. Yeah, and so good. Yeah. He's a great mid-major player. Yes. At the high major level against bigger athletes, he struggles to get open. We've seen that all year this season. And it was a concern coming into this game, and that's exactly how it played out. But if you just get an, an average to even slightly bad performance from Mark West Warwick or an average to – pretty damn bad like 25 percent overall three-point shooting effort from the entire team they pull off this upset or at least they're right there with a real chance to do it that's the part that's hard to swallow as an nku fan it was a, a really surreal feeling when you got back to the hotel that night after the game because it's like what a game what a performance you couldn't be happier with the way they played at the same time history was right there I mean, you had the chance to be the second 16 seed to knock off a number one seed at that time. We didn't didn't know what Fairleigh Dickinson was right, going to do, right, of right, course. Right. But uh, I mean, it was it was a really weird feeling after that game because I think everyone was uh, on one hand very happy and excited about the way the team played, and on the other hand, be like, "Damn, they really had a chance to do it." So, Rick, let me let me ask this question of you um, because NKU is in a one bid league, and they're always going to be a double digit high seed. Yeah. What can they do moving forward to avoid a 16 line? And they've avoided it before, not not by much, but they've avoided it before. Um, was this just a, a year where I mean, I would have thought I, I know UC's metrics aren't great, but they are plugging along in the NIT. I would have thought that win would have accounted for a little more than 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 the 16 line. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for NKU is they didn't dominate the conference. And this right. is a bad conference. So if you're going to get the 
14 seed out of this conference, then you can't lose six games in the regular yeah, season fair. and conference play. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. No, that's, not, that's not to say NKU had a bad season. That's not to no, say no, no. Right. I wouldn't take the way that they handled it because I think they lose a game or two throughout the season that some other teams may not lose. They may play it differently. And I think their whole purpose is to be ready when the end of the year comes and be at their best. So they sacrifice a little bit throughout the year and, and maybe that costs them in terms of their seed when you get there. And maybe that's something that they can figure out as they go forward. Uh, but I think, you know, you look back and them losing those three games in their exempt event around uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, with, that did that hurt. Florida Gulf Coast and UT Arlington were two pretty bad teams, and they lost to both of them. The Toledo loss, I mean, Toledo was very good this year. They were a top 100 team. So so those two I would point to, and then just having six losses in conference play. That, that's the reason they end up as a 16. If they want to be a 15 or a 14, they have to probably, you know, have a run where they only lose three, maybe four games max in conference play, really play well throughout the course of the year. And, uh, you know, the UC win was great in the non-conference, but you basically undid all of that goodwill by losing three straight games after it against two of them being inferior opponents. So that would be, I think, the path for them is you just have to perform a little bit better, especially in conference play. Yeah, and I'm just looking up, I was looking up for for argument's sake, uh, UNC Asheville, which did kind of dominate its league. And they did have a a, a win Quad out one. of the league at yeah. at UCF. So um, yeah, okay. almost yeah. every team on that fifteen yeah. seed line had a quad one win, and NKU's best win was UC, which was not quad one; it was quad right. two. Right. Right. Um, actually, might have been quad three, being that it was at home. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's I think that's the big thing is all those teams had a slightly better conference record for the most part, and they had a quad one win to go with it. So. That's that's pretty much what it is at this level, especially the Horizon League, which has struggled as a conference. You've got to dominate your league if you don't want to be the 16 seed. And I guess the Drew McDonald year where they played Texas Tech is what a 14 that they, they they did dominate that year, correct? That year in 2019, they went 13 and five in conference play. So it was, I mean, still ended up with five losses overall, but uh, out of conference that year they were 10 and three. So that definitely helped. Their losses were to UCF, well, Cincinnati, and, 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 and Kentucky. I, yeah, sorry, and I'd have to go back and look at who the 15s and 16s. They might, there might have been a couple of teams that you know were seven seeds in their league and won their conference tournament for all I know. Right, exactly. That's the other thing. I think that was just a weaker field in general. And, and NKU is you know, one spot away from being a 15 seed this year. So if you had one more bid thief or team that wasn't supposed to be there, then NKU would have been been bumped up to a 15 seed line. That certainly plays a factor when you're talking about those last couple spots as well. Yeah. Um, last topic here with NKU, Darren Horn. It was brought up a lot after that great showing in the NCAA tournament and just getting a team like NKU to the tournament. That coach's name is often going to be brought up in coaching conversations when the carousel starts to turn, and that was no exception for Darren Horn. He was brought up with the Western Kentucky job a lot for about a week, really, as that job uh, search started to get underway. And they have since filled their job. They took the the head coach from Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. So, obviously, that's no longer an option for him. Do you expect Darren Horn to be back with NKU at, at this point? Yeah, I'm trying to think where the dominoes fall. You know, um, I, I, I looked at like an Iona and they very quickly got Tobin Anderson from fairly Dickinson. He's not taking a step back to go to fairly. So, I mean, he feels very much a, this kind of area, Midwest ish, Kentucky ish. I mean, he grew up in Lexington for goodness sakes. Um, 
I don't. I don't see an opening that 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 would be there that would attract them at this point. To be quite frank, yeah. And I think NKU has enough going on, and yes. obviously he's had a lot of success here already. That I don't think he would feel like it's a bad place to be by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know that he's necessarily like looking to get the first ticket out of Highland Heights. I think it's much more of a thing of if there was a great opportunity, he would take it. And Western Kentucky for him. Some people may say, well, that's kind of a lateral move, but Kentucky, Western Kentucky has one more resources than NKU does. They can yeah. afford to pay a coach more. And two, that'd be an incredible homecoming for a guy like him who took them to a Sweet 16 as a player, took them to a Sweet 16 as a coach. Like yeah. He's really well-liked there, so that wouldn't have been a, a big surprise to see him be interested in that job. It never got to that point, fortunately, for NKU. I don't know if Darren turned them down or if they looked in a different direction, but it never seemed like it got to the – the formal point of him being a finalist in that conversation, or at least it wasn't made public in that way. So that was good for NKU. And I guess we'll wait another week or two to kind of see what other jobs open up. But right now it doesn't seem like there's an obvious one. Yeah. I I don't, I don't see anything out there. I really don't. I mean, temples open. Do you go to, I mean, do you, that just doesn't seem like a fit. I'm just throwing out job names. Yeah, I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I certainly haven't heard anything in that way, and I don't see it as a fit either. But I guess you'd never say never with any of these things. If a program with more money and a better opportunity comes calling and decide he's their guy, you never know what type of offer might be made. But yeah, I don't see Temple looking this direction. All right, Skinny, let's wrap it up with a little UC talk. The Bearcats are in the NIT, and they are still playing. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. They will actually play tonight. Wednesday night against Utah Valley. That game will be at Utah Valley. They beat Virginia Tech 81-72 in the first round. That game was at home. And then they turned around. They had to play on the road against Hofstra because they were getting their gym floor refinished at Fifth Third Arena. So they that game would have been a home game in the NIT, but instead they had to go on the road and win at Hofstra, which they did. Won that game going away 79-65. What do you make of this? postseason run by UC. We saw Xavier make a run to the NIT championship and win it all last year at Madison Square Garden. UC is now uh, two games into this thing. Has anything they've done impressed you here? Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia Tech's actually really good. And I thought that was a nice win. I know it was at home and all that. And then, you know, to go win at Hofstra, you know, Hofstra's a nice team too. Not upper echelon, but very, very good. And so I think those are two good wins. And so I, I guess I'll ask you this because you, you brought it up and it was on my mind when you did. Do you think the Xavier players on that NIT championship team, do you think that helped them for this year or was it really more Sean Miller coming in as a coach? I think it all had almost everything to do with Sean Miller coming in okay. as a coach. Right, the one enough. thing I will say where I think it might have helped them is at the end of last year, I think things had gotten pretty bad just in terms of when you're losing and things aren't going the way everyone expects them to be. A locker room can be fractured and guys are over each other and tired of the coach and all that type of stuff. I think there would have been more transfers out had they not made that NIT run. I think that was a chance for everyone kind of smooth things over with each other. Remember that, hey, we've got a good locker room of good guys. We like being around each other. I'm excited about this place again. I could come back here and play another year. I think that had more to do with it than anything else. The whole like building momentum for next year, any of that stuff, I really don't think factored in much at all. I think it had everything to do with Sean Miller and adding Sule Boom. But I do think it might have saved them another transfer or two. Okay. Um, So what do you think this run can do for UC? 
and for Wes Miller? Does it buy him any cachet at all with the fan base, with the players, with future players, with the transfer portal, if they make a deep run in this? I, I don't think it does with players. I do think with the fan base, it's nice to see him win some games that quote unquote matter. I mean, I know every other fan base is going to say the NIT doesn't matter, but hey, you're there. You're playing quality teams that seem to care about their season continuing too at this point. So it, you might as well win them. I say and, winning always, I hate this. Winning always beats losing no matter what you're doing. Exactly. And they've done that for two games here. Now, of course, the, the point that most people are going to bring out is UC's issue all year long has been beat, winning the quad one games, winning right. the, the really tough games. And so far, Virginia Tech, Hofstra, just outside those metrics. You know, they are, again, those teams that are like 80-ish in Ken Palm right now. And where's Utah Valley? 65. You know? So okay, yeah, they're, they're actually not bad. They're actually yeah, pretty another team that's good, but I think most team, most people will look at them as kind of that similar level. Not, not, I mean, they are a mid major, but kind of that mid tier, a good team, obviously, but uh, had they been in the, the AAC, they would have been one of the better teams in the AAC this year, but a team that's kind of comparable to the UCFs of the world, if you will, you know, the, the Wichita States, I think, but all the games that they've played so far, the NIT are similar to that. So if you're really diving into this, I don't know that they've proved a whole lot more at this point, but if I'm a UC fan, I would certainly rather see this from West Miller's team than the alternative. Yeah. I, and, and Wisconsin's in the final four. They won that would, are they quad? They, would they be quad two right now? Because they were obviously considered for the NCAA tournament. They are 80th. Okay, that's higher than I thought. So they would be Uh, quad two. Yeah, Vandy's playing this tonight as well, and they're probably quad two-ish, I would think. And North Texas is probably quad three. No, they might even be quad two, come to think of it. So you'd play, potentially, if you get get to Las Vegas, you play maybe three quad two, or two quad two teams, and maybe feel better about yourself. Yeah, v- Vanderbilt's actually one spot behind Wisconsin at 81. Okay. So okay. Yeah, <laughs> all, all these teams seem to be in a very similar spot, which makes yeah. sense when you're talking about the yeah. NIT. No, right. That's right. That's the right. The next best teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's right. fine. I mean, just beat the teams in front if you're, if you, if you're UC. But I guess the, the subscript there would be, but they're still not quite doing what we said they couldn't do during the regular season. Yeah, right. No, that's I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. They're still not beating the, the top tournament type teams. So. All right, let's move on. We've got a lot of other stuff to get to here, and we've already gone on for a long time. So uh, the Bengals, big free agency week for the Bengals. Of course, it all broke right after we got done recording last week's podcast, so we didn't get to talk about any of it, but they made a big splash in the free agent market when they signed offensive tackle Orlando Brown to a four-year contract through the 2026 season. The four-time pro baller will play left tackle to protect Joe Burrow's blind side. Also, they turned around and signed free agent offensive lineman Cody Ford to a one-year deal. He's a, a fifth-year player. He's played right tackle, right guard, left guard in his career, so a versatile guy to add to the offensive line. Then two days after it was announced that they had signed Orlando Brown, Jonah Williams requested a trade from the team. Also on Monday, they resigned an unrestricted free agent safety and Nick Scott to a three-year deal. They also re-signed free agent guard Max Sharpring to a one-year contract for 2023. He started three games in the postseason at right guard, um, and they re-signed Travion Williams. I believe that is all the little news and nuggets that happened over the course of the week since we last talked in terms of... (laughs) That sounds right. And Foster Moreau visited. Right. So I guess 
we'll start here. Has this played out about as ideal as possible so far for? Oh, I just I thought I thought you were going to ask me. Has this played out the way I thought? I would have told you absolutely not. No, but, definitely uh, not that. But it is. It's been he, pretty damn good, has it not? Yeah, I think ideal would have been somehow finding a way on both parties' parts to get Von Bell back. Okay, but but we talked about that last. The guaranteed money, that second year guaranteed money, just was not going to happen here. Six mil guaranteed. So again, if Von Bell. Literally, if Von Bell gets hurt tomorrow, he's going to be paid for two years worth of contract, no matter what he does. And that's just not going to happen here. And that's that's fine. But, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the cherry on top would be Foster Moreau, right? I mean, I think that would be the the, the nice final piece. And then you probably get late in the game if you decide to move on from Joe Mixon. And that hasn't happened yet, which has surprised me a little bit. Um, and maybe it is them just waiting to see what they can do to, to fill his spot. If indeed they, they let him go and to make sure they are able to fill it. I, I think it ha- absolutely has gone as ideally as you want. You got a, you got an emerging safety. Um, he's not Von Bell. He's not Jesse Bates, but he, that, that, they targeted him. They like Nick Scott a lot. And obviously the Orlando Brown thing, you know, it may be this year where this defense takes a slight step backwards because of the two veteran safeties being gone. But if Joe Burrow is upright more times than not, he's going to probably put more points on the board. And you have a better chance of that with Orlando Brown at left tackle. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I think it has. Just like I talked about with Xavier, their best path to making a Final Four is through playing elite offense. The Bengals' best path to a Super Bowl is keeping this offense as dangerous as possible. Yes. If you have to sacrifice a little bit on the defensive side or go through some growing pains there to keep this offense at the top of the NFL, do it. By all means, yeah, it, do it. It, was, that, I don't think, it wasn't necessarily the plan. I'm not saying those, yes. you know, the, the Von Bell bucket wasn't the same bucket that they were pulling from to to go out and get Orlando Brown. I'm not suggesting that. But if this is the way it had to play out, I would much rather have it go this way than, yeah, you didn't get Orlando Brown, but you got Von Bell back. Yeah, and Jermaine Elomenor to play right tackle and jo- Jonah to be your left tackle. No, you got a bona fide superstar left tackle Pro Bowl guy, period, end of story. Now, this is a guy in Orlando Brown who, I mean, he's been with the Chiefs. And he the Ravens. Has, he has seen the Bengals up close and personal, but from an outsider's perspective the last few years. I mean, obviously, these teams have met up in multiple big-time games. The Bengals have fared very well in them, except for the last one, of course. Does that stand out to you at all? That the, the, It was his agent that reached out to the Bengals and said, let's get this deal done. He what? decided to sign for a lot less money than most people expected him to sign for. Does that say anything to you about kind of what the Bengals are becoming? Well, I, I think you heard it from from three different guys, Jermaine Pratt interior I- internally from Orlando Brown and from Nick Scott, who started against the Bengals in Super Bowl 56. They all talked about what they saw across the field. They all talked about how close this team is to winning a Super Bowl and continuing to take swings at the Super Bowl. And they all want to be a part of that. And I, I think that does speak volumes of, listen, if I'm going to be a free agent and I got to sign somewhere, Cincinnati's a pretty good destination. And so all the people wringing their hands over the NFLPA report card and free agents aren't going to come to Cincinnati. No, they're going to come where they, hey, listen, money's a big factor too. Orlando Brown's getting paid pretty handsome. He's got 31 mil guaranteed. He put a $31 million check in the bank. He'll be okay. And he stands to make potentially 64 mil when that contract's over. He did he did just fine. And yeah, maybe he left a little money on the table and Laramie Tunsil cut a bigger deal a couple of days later. So be it. Um, but I, I do think for guys, Money is a factor. It's going to always be a factor, and understandably so. But the chance to win is also a big factor for guys. And I think all three mentioned that literally that's why Jermaine Pratt re-signed here. That's why Orlando Brown came here. That's what Nick Scott saw across the field is, is a team with dudes who have a chance to win and not just win once, 
but continue to win and take swings at it multiple times in, in the terms of their contract. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me when reading all the different stuff about Orlando Brown is he's durable and he's young. He's only missed one game in five years. Yeah. He's, what, 27 now? Yeah, no, right. And I think that's that's the case for a lot of this stuff. Is I, I think when they've made some of this, they, they want guys who are still emerging in their careers. And again, I'm not here to crap on Von Bell. I think they were really concerned that Vaughn was about to get to the point of having a little too much tread on the tires. And I think it's the old Bill Belichick philosophy of it's better to get out a year early than to get out a year too late. And again, I'm not crap. Von Bell was great. And he did a lot of great things. And he makes, I hope he has a great, Rest of his career, wherever it be, Carolina or beyond. I, I Vaughn Bell was nothing but a pro. But I, I think you see part of the philosophy of this organization right now is we're going to keep getting younger because, you know, it's better to get out a year early than it is to get out a year late. I'm all for that. I, I, I love that strategy. Um, Cody Ford, skinny, the other offensive lineman that they side, signed, not as heralded. What do you think his role will be for this team? Do you see him as a potential starter? Do you think they're just bringing him as a depth piece to compete? Obviously, he's versatile. He can play multiple spots. Yeah, I I, I think it's a depth piece. But if somehow you're able to deal Jonah Williams, and I I think that I think everybody thinks it's going to be easier. It, it's it's easier said than done. I think it's going to be very tough because before I answer your Cody Ford question, I, I'll just jump on Jonah for a second. I don't blame Jonah for requesting a trade. He does not want to be pigeonholed as a right tackle. I get that. Right tackles usually don't get paid. In fact, Orlando Brown even said that that his father went through that in his career, and that's why he moved from right tackle in Baltimore to left tackle his last year there and and then left tackle in Kansas City, and then there was rumblings that they wanted to move him back to right tackle. He wants to be a left tackle, and so does Jonah. I get, I get that. Dealing Jonah is going to be hard because it's going to have to be a team that's either going to willing to extend him or feels it's close enough to winning big that it just needs a left tackle piece um, because it would be a one-year rental. And most teams I think that are in that mix um, already have their left tackle. So I don't think this is going to be easy. I think if anybody's wondering, is Jonah really, listen, if push comes to shove and Jonah Williams is on this roster, he will be the starting right tackle and he will perform just fine. He will be okay. He, he, you know, but I, I think Cody Ford is insurance for that. I think Cody Ford, and that's the sharpening signing surprised me a little bit. I thought the Cody Ford signing was more in tune of, boy, if we get hurt again on a key piece of this line, and I think I mentioned this, Max Sharping could block what the Buffalo Bills had. Max Sharping couldn't block Chris Jones. And that's not a knock. That's just, I mean, that's what you signed Alex Kappa was to block guys like that, and Alex Kappa got hurt. I think it was more, all right, we got a little more belief in a Cody Ford doing something like that. And again, also at the tackle position, we don't want to have to be at a point where we're throwing Hakeem Adeniji back in there by default. We want to have a guy that we feel is a better piece. So, yeah, I think he's a depth piece. But if they do trade Jonah, he's very much in the mix, I think, to be the right tackle. What about the safety position? You mentioned Nick Scott played for the Rams. Is this a guy that they think is going to step in and start? Is he a guy that's going to be in the mix? And then do they need to still go out and get somebody else? Yeah, I don't think they will, Rick. It wouldn't shock me, but I don't think they will. I think they'll draft another depth piece there. Um, You know, we didn't get a chance to see Tyson Anderson, but they liked what they saw of him in camp from an athletic standpoint. Listen, I know everybody's wringing their hands over the whole Dax Hill not playing a lot of snaps last year. That had all to do with the fact that Von Bell and Jesse Bates played 99% of the snaps. I mean, (laughs) sorry, they're not coming off the field, man. I I don't care what you think of Dax Hill at that point in time. You drafted Dax Hill 
for this point in time, I wrote a piece actually yesterday of, you know, talking to Rob Livingston, the safeties coach, which we did on Monday of him just kind of breaking down the safety position. I think he's really excited by the athleticism back there. Um, and, and, you know, and, and listen, he said that in all well knowing that, that, you know, he's going to miss Jesse Bates and Von Bell, but he said, you know, graduation comes. And so you have to move to the next, next core guys. And he said, the thing I'm excited about is, is the athleticism of all those guys back there. And and so I do think they're, that, that they like that. I think you add another depth piece, but really, if you, if you put the roster out today, you know, you only keep four safeties on the roster and they've got their four Michael Thomas or Mike Thomas being the fourth, even though Mike's, you know, more of a special teams guy. I do think they had a depth piece somewhere in the, in the draft. I don't think they go for another veteran. I think they believe Nick Scott is an emerging player. He played special teams his first three years in the league. That third year, he got one start in the regular season, then started all four playoff games because Jordan Fuller got hurt, including, as I mentioned, in the Super Bowl. Then last year became a full-time starter, and I think they see the guy as he bided his time, he played special teams, he he, he, he shut his mouth and worked hard, and then you know got good film on him from last year, and I think they believe Nick Scott can – certainly be an answer back there. So I think they believe in those guys. Skin, the Bengals got off to a slow start this past season, and there was a lot of hand-wringing, and understandably so. I know everyone wants to avoid that. The, the goal is to not have that happen. Hopefully Joe Burrow having a normal offseason will, will help that. But I think people need to be prepared for some growing pains on defense next year. I and don't. I don't. Really? You, 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 don't got your front, you got your front nine back. Listen, safeties are safeties for a reason, man. And I, 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 I'm glad they had Von Bell and Jesse Bates. And I think they were arguably the best tandem in, in the league. But to me, safeties aren't difference makers. They're just not, unless you're Ed Reed. There's a rare yeah. breed like that that comes along. Troy Palomalu, Ed yes. Reed. There's a few yes. game breakers, but Jesse Bates wasn't that. I agree. But right. But if your front nine is, it's pretty damn good, which I think this front nine is, I, I think you can mask the safeties and, and listen, I think Dax Hill is an just an untapped canvas that I I truly think in a and listen he made one start last year if you remember he had to start at slot corner against Tampa Bay and he played yep. pretty well yep. in a role that he wasn't familiar with I I I think Dax Hill, listen did we know Jesse Bates was going to be this when they plugged him in as a rookie no but not. but he had growing pains too I mean my my point he is did. not that they're going to stink or be and not be capable my point is the opposite my point is. Don't forget about what happened last year. Yes, they struggled a couple games. They dropped a couple early, but they were still a playoff team and good enough to make a run to the AFC championship game. I think next year will be very similar. So if they get off to a slow start and they lose an early game because they gave up 35 points, I would not get worried about it because there are, I think communication and chemistry and the cohesiveness of this defensive unit have been very important to Lou Anarumo's scheme the last few years. And that's a that's a point well said. And to that point, I think that's why the Pratt signing was also important. And, and I can't remember who asked the question of of Lou um, when we talked to him uh, the, the day that that Pratt resigned. Um, he, he made a pretty good because we were we were also asking him. That's the first time we talked to him since the the Bell and Bates thing had gone down, and obviously a lot of questions about that. And so the question was about you know Jermaine because Jermaine is one of those guys they talk about his football IQ. He's a film junkie. And he said, you know, this will be a year where Jermaine's talking to the safeties and communicating with him instead of the other way around. Right. And so I think that was important that they had a guy like that, that they could say, OK, now you're kind of the leader as opposed to Jesse and Vaughn being the communicator. Now it's your turn to kind of get these young safeties through it. And so I think that was really important. And that's not a knock on Logan Wilson. It's just that's what Jermaine does. So I, I, I think that was important to them. At least you got somebody back there that can keep this thing cohesive. 
What should they do with the running back spot, Skinny? I just been in the Elgin. This is, is again. I want this to be clear. This has nothing to do with any of the Joe Mixon sideshow stuff that's going on because so far nothing's been proven of anything. I just think it's a it's a monetary thing that that. I mean, I, I guess if you can look and say this year we're going to account for his money, next year we'll definitely get out from under. At that point, you know, we're going to save um, twelve mil against the cap, or actually, I think it's ten mil next year against the cap. Ten mil against the cap. Um, and we'll move on from him then. We've accounted for it already this year. We, we feel like we've got our ducks in a row. I just don't see that being the case because I still, you still got to get some money scraped together for the extensions that are coming. And I just don't, I, a $10 million running back, I'm sorry, just isn't worth it. I, I think you can piecemeal that position with a, honestly, a day two draft pick with Travion Williams, with Chris Evans, and then go find a veteran out there. I've, you know, Clyde Edwards Lair's name's been brought up. I mean, there's going to be somebody out there. Uh, I think you're seeing it around the league. I mean, Zeke Elliott, the Dallas got out from under the contract. It has nothing to do with the player a lot of times. It's just it's a position that you just don't pay for. And if you look at the Bengals, Rick, if you take Joe Burrow's scrambles and any reverses out of the equation last year from wide receivers, which they didn't run a lot of those, they averaged 20 rush attempts a game. Do you need to pay pay that kind of money for 20 rush attempts a game? No, especially not in the NFL where you don't give one guy all 20 rushes right, anymore. Right. It's, it's divided between two or That's three right. people. Yeah, I, I saw Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football uh, last week. I guess it was last Monday during free agency frenzy. And he's right. He said, "He said, moms and dads, let, let me just let me just give you a quick lesson. Don't let your sons be running backs. Let them Seriously. be quarterbacks. Running backs aren't getting paid anymore in this league. They're just not. And he's right. And they don't. They, you just don't need to do it. Yeah. Well, when we were growing up, that was all the big stars. All no the question. big names were running backs. And that's just changed in the NFL. Not that there aren't some big, flashy names still at that position. But for the most part, they're fading out and fading out quick. The stars are all the quarterbacks and receivers for the most part. And, and look at the running backs of the last, whatever it was. I saw that graphic after the Super Bowl, the last, what is it, 10 or 12 Super Bowls, what those running backs were getting paid. And it was minuscule. So it tells you these teams are winning Super Bowls without having to pay for a high price running back. Any other Bengals notes to get too skinny or can we move on? No, to I, I, yeah, I think it, at this stage of the game, I think you're down to adding the tight end. Um, and, you know, I, probably, like I said, a, a running back later in the game, maybe a defensive tackle, but you're running out of money pretty quickly. I, I think you're at the stage now where you've kind of filled two big needs. You're going to fill another one with the tight end piece. And at some point you're just out of, out of money and you need to save some of it for the extensions that are coming. So I don't, I don't expect a whole lot else to come down the like maybe of a, a veteran corner late, you know, don't forget they still need to resign a back, sign a backup quarterback, which will probably be Brandon Allen, but it, he, he doesn't come here for zero on the on the cap hit. He's going to count for something. So, you know, even even some of these minor signings start to add up a little bit, too. And as I suggest to people, don't look at over the, over the cap or spot rack and think that's the absolute cap space. I've talked about before. Whenever you see that, take about 15 mil off because the Bengals account for a lot of other things than what you see on that cap space. So the cap space goes away quicker than you think. And that's why I think, too, that's why the Joe Mixon cutting this year makes all the sense in the world to, to again, save cap space and, and utilize that for maybe somebody else. All right. We've avoided it as much as we could here this baseball spring training season, but it's all coming to an end this week, and opening day is next Thursday, if you can believe it's skinny. Can I tell you something on that, Rick? And I, I mean this, and I hate to do it. I'm a baseball guy. I love the game. I, I, I It's my era. 
I have never cared less about a season starting than this one. I'm serious about that. I, I could not agree more. Dude, it's been a struggle. Of, we, I have tried every week to come up with topics. And I just cannot make myself. Dude, I literally love in the spring. If I'm in the car, nothing better than turning on a red spring training game just to hear the sounds of baseball. This year I turn it on and I almost want to puke. I click it off so fast. I can't stand it. <laughs> I didn't even do that. I mean, I haven't had one single second where I've thought, I wonder what's going on with the Reds or man, I'm I can't wait you. for the Reds to get here. I just with don't you. care I, at I, all about this. Upcoming and I'm season. sorry for those that are baseball fans listening to this podcast. I, I just love being honest. I want to be, I, I want to be, uh, I want to talk baseball. I love talking baseball, but I just, I, I can't bring up some faux, some fake um, hope or optimism or reasons to even give a damn about this, this group. I just don't. Will we be doing a live show at the Banks or the Holy Grail or something next week for opening day, or are we not doing that this year? That's a good the question. sponsors not come through? Yeah, yeah, no, probably not. Okay, we'll just leave it to Mo and the guys then. Maybe they can get the Castellinis back on. That'll be good. Uh, <laughs> I General, can't I can't wait to see what that idiot says this year. Oh, God. that I mean, that's the only reason to go out. I am actually I, – I, I, this is not a joke. I will be going next Thursday to wherever Mo is doing his show from. Well, I will be attending well, that. That will be my favorite part of opening day. So here's the thing. It may not be Mo for all I know. If UC what? goes to Vegas. Mo getting fired? I, no. If, oh. if, you, if UC goes to Vegas, I think the NIT semifinals are that opening day night. Oh, man. <laughs> so we'll have uh, Tony Pike. Yeah, doing maybe. The, oh, that's fine. Also, Tony Tony and Austin Elmore are doing a hell of a job with the Cincy 360 show. I agree show. with you. I really I, like I that enjoy show. it. I do, too. I would be happy to go listen to that. All right. General Manager Nick Kroll on Monday appeared on Jim Bowden's Sirius XM radio show and said, while the plan is for Joey Votto to finish his career with the Reds, he would be open to trading Votto under certain circumstances. Those certain circumstances, of course, are that it would be to the Toronto Blue Jays, and if the Reds are out of contention at the trade deadline, and if Votto <laughs> asked to go I had to, to laugh at that team. one. If. I like the if. Oh, you're so funny, Nick. It's a big if, obviously. Uh, Vado does have a no trade clause in his yes. contract. Skinny, do you think there's any realistic chance that Vado will be traded to the Blue Jays this year? I do, um, but it would only be if, if that's kind of what he wants. If that, and maybe, and maybe it is. Maybe he gets to the point of you know what Toronto is in contention, and it would be cool to finish finish my career in my home country. And there's nothing left for me to do here. I mean, you you heard his frustration a few weeks ago, where um, I think he's frustrated with the situation here, and understandably so. You know, you're at the end of your, your your rope and you've just played on a hundred loss team and this team is going to lose a lot of games too. So, yeah, I do think that is a possibility. I think the fact that Nick spoke that, I'm going to guess he didn't speak that without having first talked to Joey Votto about something s- similar to that. Maybe I was, I'm wrong. I was just going to say that the Reds brass have never stuck their foot in their mouth before and spoke out of turn. It, but in all seriousness, Nick Kroll really doesn't do that type of thing. To, to my knowledge, I mean, he's usually pretty conservative with the types mm-hmm. of things he says. I would have to imagine that not only if he and Joey Votto discussed this, but there's like a plan in place for this. Yeah, right. If it happens the way Joey wants it to happen. I mean, there's just no way, at least in my opinion, that Nick Kroll would even bring this up or lay this out there if this isn't something that, that's been fleshed out and discussed. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think it's it's a very realistic chance. Now, it might not be as realistic that the scenario that they're looking for sets up, being that like Toronto is where Votto wants them to be in the playoff race and all of that. But I, I would think if, if things set up the way they're looking for them to, this is a very likely possibility. Also this week, it was noted by you on local 12.com that as 
Nick Kroll continued to shed payroll ahead of this season. Ken Griffey Jr. is now the third highest paid player on the Reds roster. Only Joey Votto at $25 million a year and free agent signee Will Myers at $6 million a year are due more in base salary this season. Kevin Newman, who's expected to be the team's backup infielder, is fourth on the team in salary at $2.6 million this year. So, Skinny, if Ken Griffey Jr. were to play for the Reds right now at 53 years old and probably about 260 pounds, if I'm being generous, <laughs> do you think he could be the Reds' third best player? And if not, how close would he be to that? He'd be damn close. I would think that. <laughs> I mean, is that not the silliest thing ever, though? It's, it's unbelievable. When you when I saw you post that, I just started cracking up. I was He's like, what a, what well, a clickbait post but it's so well good. hang on I, I will i will say i posted that story last year and 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 our my boss reposted it this year so I, i'll give him the credit for this one okay. this time he's like oh yeah it's coming up on that and he looked it up and i i i double checked him so i read behind him on it and i and i, I my my jaw dropped i knew he was right but i wanted to see you know where things stood and when i saw the it was kevin newman with the third highest salary and they don't even consider him a starter i just laughed kevin newman Kevin Newman. Uh, in, in all seriousness, Reds opening day roster. Maybe maybe we'll do this next week before the game. But like, out of the guys who are going to be on the roster on opening day, how many of them, if they came up to you at Holy Grail Banks as you were doing Mo's show last Thursday before the NCAA tournament, and they punched you right in your nose, would you know who they were before they did it? I'd say or after least, they did it. I think at least half. Stevenson, Maley. Only because I covered him in high yeah, school. Yeah, we know Maley well. <laughs> um, Casali, Vado, India, um, Senzel, Hunter Green, Lodolo. Would you know Lodolo if he just walked into the bar? I don't know yeah, if I would. Yeah, yeah. He's got a distinct look to him, in my opinion. Fraley, oh, really? I thought he just kind of had a normal white guy look to him. Fra- 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 well, he's long and lanky. Fraley, I'm at nine. Maybe I can't do ten. Maybe I can do nine. I couldn't tell what Spe- I, even though Spencer Steer was here last year, I couldn't tell you what he looked like. And he's yeah, I mean, that's the thing. thing. There's just like some Jose not- Barrero. Jose Barrero, I think I could do. I'm think. not saying I don't recognize the names or I don't know the players at all. No, no, I'm just saying if I'm in a bar and they walk in, I don't know that I recognize most of these guys out in public. TJ Friedel, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. No chance. Um, you know who would be great at this game? My broadcast partner, Jim Kelch, <laughs> he's familiar with these guys. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. You're right. He would know these guys. I don't No, me neither. Uh, the Reds total payroll currently stands at 70.6 million, which is uh, 26th in MLB out of the Rays, Pirates, Orioles and Oakland Athletics. Skinny. Well, they're a nonprofit. <laughs> that's right. Uh, do you want to play? We, we have had some requests to play our favorite game. Uh, useless spring training headlines. Would you like to play real quick? Oh, I loved it. I loved it when he did the last time. Okay. We've got off guard in a couple. We've got four here. They're not as good as the first one, but people want, wanted me to bring it back. So I will, uh, you tell me which headline is the most useless skinny okay, fire away. Reds catchers forming a tight bond. Don't care. Spencer steers. Oh, this is your guy. Spencer steers. Confidence is key component in reds. Third base battle. Can't keep going. Reds starting pitcher Graham Ashcraft keeps moving forward. Well, it's better than moving backward. I guess. I guess it is. I don't know what the hell that would even More mean. More sideways. He I keeps. Mean, I mean, that is the epitome of a. I got to write something today. 
it's one of my favorite. When, when I worked at a, a, a weekly paper, one of my first jobs, the Boone County Recorder, um, we used to have to lay the paper out ourselves, do all the headlines for everything. And so my boss, we used to get the, the Boone County extension, like stuff about agriculture and stuff. And he goes, man, I can't figure out a headline for this to save my life. And so we sat there for a while and came back and go, you not figure out anything? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm getting it out right now. And the headline was shrubs going good. And I, every time I see something like the Graham Ashcraft, I always think of shrubs going good. Shrubs going good. I like it. That's that's about as solid as Graham yep. Ashcraft keeps moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, this is the final one here. Reds Vladimir Gutierrez remains upbeat, recovering from elbow surgery. I like that one. Uh, see, I, I would like for it to just be uh, like Reds Vladimir Gutierrez absolutely pissed off after elbow surgery. <laughs> Not going well at all, says Vladimir Gutierrez. Oh, my Lord. God loves spring training. On Which is the most team. useless out of the four. The most useless? Yeah. I hate to do it. Is Graham Ashcraft moving forward? <laughs> Keeps moving forward. It's so I mean, good. It's like, I don't, that may have been the most well written story ever, for all I know. Honestly, right. But God, the headline, the headline, it, ruined it. but the headline is like, why the hell would anyone click on that? Yes, correct. Uh, God bless uh, all of our writers out there doing the Lord's work covering spring training, which, by the way, I am not acting in any way like I would do better. In fact, there's no chance I could do the work they're doing. I have no interest in it. And uh, I could not come up with something interesting to write every day at spring training. So I am not taking shots at these guys. I'm just taking shots at the whole situation that they have to be out there doing. It's it's part of their job and they're paid to do it and they're professionals. So they're doing it. But it is just a grind when you're out there writing spring training stories, man. Shrubs going good. Shrubs going good. All right. Let's get this mask skinny anything. Let's do it. Skinny, big, big week in the Big East. We've got Rick Pitino back at St. John's. We've got Ed Cooley jumping ship from Providence to go to freaking Georgetown inside the conference and pissing off everybody in the state of Rhode Island along the way. He's a Providence guy. (laughs) He is too much of a king to stay, said John Fanta. His life had gotten too hard. He couldn't go out in public anymore with his wife, which I heard was for other reasons. But uh, your Big East head coach rankings now. How would those look? All right, hang on. I got, I got, a, I got, you're going to have to help me with this as I go through it. Yeah. Um, so Rick Pitino's one, right? No, no, there's no, no question. I was just yeah. going to look at the teams. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this off the top of my head. Um, Pitino one. I'll go Sean Miller two. Agreed. I'll go Greg McDermott, McDermott three. three. That's my three too. I know you hate him, but I'm going Danny Hurley four. I would probably have the same. I'll go Ed five. I, I think Ed's a re- I think Ed's a really good coach. I got to be honest. I'm going Shaka Smart over Ed Cooley. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I could. Yeah, Shaka was going to be next, but yeah, I, I yeah, it's, it, we're we're splitting hairs at this point. Um, yeah, it gets interesting when you get through like the four to seven or eight. Yeah, who's who? George, Georgetown hasn't hired yet, right? Yeah, they hired Ed Cooley. Oh, they hired my, my, my province hasn't hired yet, brother. A province is not hired yet. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just what. Um, so we got to take them out of the equation. I can't tell you the Paul's coach off the top of my head. He'd be last. Yeah, yes, you can. It's the old UC assistant. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's last. Uh, the dude at Butler's second to last. And then who am I missing now? So you've got Thad Mata second to last, and Tony Stubblefield last. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't. I love Thad. I just I, sometimes you just can't go home again. It, well, it's hard to know right now if Thad just doesn't have it anymore. No, and that's, or that's my fear is it's if just that Butler situation taking, was just too 
bad yeah. step into initially. Yeah, and the, the thing for that, I just, I just, the whole health thing, just it's going to be constantly used against him. It's so you know, you have, I watch this. I, you have him I, below Kyle Neptune at Villanova, though. No, I'd flip flop that. That's a good call. That's what I was trying to think. Yeah, I didn't think he did a very good job this year. It's not like the cupboard was full, but the cupboard wasn't completely bare. I know he dealt with injuries. Yeah, that's the big thing. Is he's got to he gets a like a Depends. wait. Let's wait yeah. and see type yeah. incomplete right now because not having Justin Moore was just a massive factor, and he didn't have Cam Whitmore for the first yeah. month or so. Yeah, and down the stretch, they honestly, I I thought they were going to be a really scary out in the in the Big East tournament. Yeah, they looked pretty good at the end of the year, so I'm willing to give him a little more time. But right now, I think I would still have him under Thad. All right, so I do. I have I got them all yet? I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Seton Hall actually, you didn't have Shaheen Holloway. I don't know where um, you them. I'll put him below this, right below Shaka, the Shaka Smart uh, Ed Cooley line. I I I agree. I think Shaheen's going to do a really good job there. Yeah. I think it means it means a lot to him. I think he proved at St. Peter's he can get the job done. Uh, you know, I I give him a couple of recruiting cycles. I know you could say the same about Thad. I just Thad just looks washed. I, I hate to do that. I know, and honestly, that offensive system that he's running yeah. looks just out of date. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm not ready to write him off just yet, but I would agree with you that he's towards the bottom of my rankings, and I'd have concerns if I was a Butler fan. And in and, and hell, in his heyday, he would have been near the top. <laughs> sure. I mean, in terms of names, the, the conference is absolutely loaded. Dude, the conference is absolutely loaded. The Patino thing to St. John's is fascinating. Because the dude, the dude does nothing but win. Although Period, they, they might be back in the tournament next year. Uh, exactly. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, by the way, I thought it was funny how he's like taking the job. And and I don't disagree with coaches on this, but he's taking the job as being like, yeah, Joel Soriano is coming back. We want to build around him. But the rest of these dudes, I don't think there's a <laughs> lot of guys that are going to like the way I'm doing things. They they probably need to find somewhere else. And I agree with coaches on that. The players have done this to themselves with the All whole right. transfer portal and stuff. If you're a coach, you do not owe any of these guys anything anymore because they're going to And vice versa. Right. And that's the way it's always been. The players have finally gotten their power now that they can leave, but they've got more power than anyone in the world because they're not looked at as employees, yet they're allowed to make millions of dollars, jump ship whenever they want. You can't hold them responsible to anything. You can't get them to sign like a uh, uh, bargaining agreement or anything like that because you don't want to say they're employees, but yet they're able to make all this money while technically working at your school. So it's a very interesting situation they have a lot of power now the players do but if i'm a coach i'm saying that's great you have all that power but i'm not guaranteeing anything anymore and i'm talking openly about it like we it's free agency every year now and that's just the way it is and i do not care i'll I'll run all of your asses out of here and that's exactly what rick patino did yesterday during his his press conferences i thought it was it was interesting but uh it it wasn't quite coach prime i bring in um i'm bringing my own luggage and it's louis (laughs) but it was the rick patino version of it yes it was how many years until St. John's plays Kentucky or Louisville in the tournament? Um, if it's possible, seating wise next year, as soon as possible. You yep. know that. You know it. I can see that being like a, uh, uh, what, what would say St. John's, if they were a 10, how would that set up? We could get. Well, it would set up that St. John's is a seven, Louisville's a 10, and Kentucky's a two. You get oh, yeah, there you back, go. Get them back to back weeks. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Okay. This is from, oh, this is from one of our former coworkers or one of my former coworkers. You still work with her. Uh, Allison said, I saw a tweet that said Big Ten basketball doesn't make it far into the tournament because they're still playing basketball like they did 20 years ago. And the overall league officiating is bad. Discuss. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know, man. Tennessee plays like it's 20 years ago. They play like they're in the NBA in the bad boy era. My God, Tennessee punches people in the face and they don't care about it. And they're still uh, hanging on. I mean, Michigan State, he's, he, he found a way to get to the second weekend. I think that might have a little something to do with coaching. Yeah, a little bit. I, well, I, I will say this. Listen, they all I, play I the same style, except for like Iowa and maybe Illinois. Everybody yes. in the Big Ten plays slow. And I think that did cost a team like Purdue. And, and honestly, Rick, and I think Kentucky fell into this mix. Playing through the post, I just don't know if you do this anymore. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, look, you can't have the guards like Purdue had and be a number one seed. Correct. That's just, it, you're, you're not a number one seed if you don't have talented guards. I don't know if we talked about this. Did you get a chance to watch any of the Big Ten tournament? Yes. I, I've never seen a team that's that that's had that success this year that they had in the regular season and handle pressure like it was one bad AAU team against a good AAU team. It was insane to watch. And, well, and that's that part of the point, problem that, with that the Big you, Ten, right? You don't yeah, face it all you, year long. Yeah, that gave you every cause for pause if you were picking Purdue to go anywhere beyond the second weekend. I, I totally agree. And part of the reason they looked like that is because they they really hadn't faced it all year. No one really pressures you in the Big right. Ten. That's right. Everyone wants to play slow. And so well, I it, do think that has something to do with it. I don't know if it's their only issue. I mean, I I think everyone who was watching basketball all year was looking at it saying, the Big Ten is going to get all these teams in, and it's totally an overrated conference. But that's part of how you get a bunch of teams in. It's not that you have a couple teams at the top dominating your conference and piling up losses on everybody else. It's everybody plays kind of mediocre basketball and, and piles up a, a slightly over 500 record. Right. And listen, I mean, two of the best players in the country are Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis, but they don't have the guards to go with it. No question. I think I think guard play is a big part of the Big Ten's issue. It is. I agree with you. Who has the ugliest court in college basketball, Skinny? And why is or, it Oregon? Because if you say anything it, else, you're wrong. Oh, uh, no, I was just say Oregon is not even close. I, I can't even stand watching the game. It's horrible. It's awful. Along what makes the, you think that anybody wants to see that? I have no idea. I don't get it at all. I know it was just to draw attention and do recruiting, but if I'm a recruit, I would say I am not going there simply because of that court. <laughs> play on your ugly ass court. Unless I don't have any other offers. And then sign me up, coach. Uh, who uh, Along those same lines, do you like the court designs for the NCAA tournament or do you wish they went back to the arena's original court? Yeah, I, I wish they went back to the original court. I, I get so frustrated having to look along the sidelines going, where the hell is it? Oh, Birmingham. Back, back when they used to do it, you could tell where that what that arena was. And I think it takes away from the arena's character. They're all homogenized. They yeah, all it looks the like they're all court. at the same place. Yes, and I hate that. It's like an AAU event. Yes. I, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I like the uniqueness. And sometimes when you'd like have it on uh, actual team's floor and you'd see you know, a, another big logo at the center floor, but neither of those two teams ever play there yes, before. Right. It's just weird to see. It's like, I, I always liked that. I did too. I, it's kind of like you. the all-star game back when they all used to wear their own jerseys and play together. Yeah, I mean, you want to homogenize the final four in the championship game, go for it. But I still think it's pretty cool that I can look back at the 85 championship game that I was at, the Villanova Georgetown game, and go, says Rupp Arena right there. I mean, it doesn't say NCAA, and then you got to look on the side go, oh, Lexington, oh, Rupp Arena, sure. Okay, gotcha. Skinny, which professional team has the worst logo? Ooh. I don't I don't know enough logos from hockey. Do they count? Sure. I'm trying to think of any logos from hockey I wouldn't like. The worst logo. Man, oh man. I'm trying to that, that's a that's a that's a tough one off the top of my head. Do you have one? Um the Pistons kind of sucks, right? 
Yeah, it's really nothing to it to be quite Thunder, fun. Thunder oh, and yeah. Pistons both suck. Yeah, those are those are two pretty good ones. I don't like the Thunder's colors either. No, the th- everything about the Thunder's I don't like the Bobcats colors either. Branding has been bad. Bobcats has always been a terrible branding. I don't even know what their logo is. I don't either. I'm assuming it's a think Bobcat. Of it. I would think it's would hope it's a Bobcat. Um I will say I'm thinking most NFL ones, and it's funny, I got NFL network on with the sound down and they're scrolling uh down across the bottom, free agents available, whatnot, with the team logo next to it. And I can't think of an NFL logo I dislike. Which, which, by the way, the Bobcats don't actually exist anymore, right? They are the Hornets again. Oh, like, whatever. Not- yeah, are they the Hornets now? But well, they should go back to the Hornets colors. They should go back to the Larry Johnson Hornets colors. I, th- I think they did. No, they did. They, they're they, like well, that uh, tells you, the, the that tells you how much I, I, that tells you how much I've watched them this year. Yeah, no, I, I no, do like co- that. The the old school Hornets stuff that they're like back into is is good, but the Bobcats was terrible. Awful. I don't I don't remember what that logo was, but I do know it sucked. Yeah, it, yeah, no, no, no good. You know who has the best, and I don't think they use it anymore. But the Brewers logo with the MB and the glove. Yeah, yeah, I love that logo. I used to, as a kid, I could never figure out the TC for the Twins, and then of course I grew up to understand it meant Twin Cities. But it always boggled my mind of what is TC. I drove me crazy too. Kirby Puckett days. Yeah, I'd always get baseball cards of him and be like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> uh, does Skinny have a favorite musical or play? Um, I've only seen a couple. I saw they all ones your daughter was in. I saw cats. Well, that doesn't count the ones that she was in. Um, (laughs) That's yeah. um, I'm going to have to pass. I'll go cats only because it's the only one I can really remember. West Side Story, I guess. I saw West Side Story, too. Sharks and Jets. Sharks and Jets. Would you have been a shark or a jet? I'd probably been a shark. I would agree with that. Like the outsiders. Would you have been a socia or a greaser? Oh, greaser. Yeah, I would have liked to have been a greaser. I think I would. I think I would have been a social. I, I know I hated myself for it. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what an amazing statement to make! Uh, what's your go-to gas station, Skinny? This is one that's near and dear. Oh, to my Speedway. Heart. Speedway. I mean, the, the points. I think. Um, I think probably every year we rack up enough to get a hundred-dollar gift card out of that. Kroger. Kroger's another one. I mean, we do we do Kroger gas once or twice a month. But in but between, that's not a gas speedway. station, though. No, it's not. It's speed, speedway for me. It's, cl- yeah. it's not even close. Like to me, the gas station is, has nothing to do with gas. It, to me, it's like, it, well, I guess I, I was born to be like a, a city guy, like in New York. I have a bodega, a corner store, because that's yeah. that's what I use my gas station for. I go in there like, are you the speedway guy? Well, I've had different eras throughout my life. It's always changed with where I moved. I was a speedway guy all through. Well, I high know, I know college. where. You, I, I know where you grew up is where I grew up. The Circle K and, on Stevenson was my go-to for years uh, there. See, I was the Sunoco well, well, no. guy on the corner. I was a Sunoco guy on the corner of of Dudley and Turkey Foot. I take that back. You're talking about my parents' house. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. Not yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's where they, they used to have JDs back in the yes, old they did. Barnwood yes, place. They did. I used to go to JDs too. I was a big JDs guy. I was too. Yeah. And then the Sunoco. And then a, a lot of times I was going to the Speedway in Latonia when I went to Holy Cross. Yep. And then uh, another speedway on Dixie Highway when I was at NKU. And then as I moved over to my house over in uh, Erlanger, I went to the Stevenson Circle K for years. And that was a great spot. I will say whenever I make my my trips to Lawrenceburg, the Circle K there in Lawrenceburg is a go to spot either for a great hot dog or a great cup of coffee, depending on the time of day. 
Yeah, and well, now I'm a UDF guy, and I have to say, I don't, I wouldn't say UDF overall is the best, but they have the best Coke Zero fountain and best ice. <laughs> it's funny, I'm I rarely get a, a fountain pop. I just I don't know. I just that's pretty much I, what I go to. I, I, I'm not gonna lie, if I'm going to a speedway, I got I got one of three things I'm purchasing, Rick: beer, coffee, and or gas, and maybe all three at once for all I know. What about your old egg rolls? Do you still get the gas station egg roll occasionally? Well, Speedway, Speedway they, they don't make them hardly anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. Every time I'm in there with a hankering for an egg roll, there's nothing on there but one of those like stupid. I don't know. They got like a churro looking thing to it. It's not a churro. It's something along. It's just they look awful. It looks like a just a mishmash of something. Now, their pizza is good, too, believe it or not. Yeah, Speedway pizza. has the best food options. They do. They got good pizza. Cheeseburger isn't half bad on occasion, but yeah, I was a dude. I would go out of my way to get the egg rolls from there. I loved them. Yeah, I, I also had I, I, of course, lit that poor fast food worker on fire in the last show that we did. And I had a yes, bunch of did. people trying to get me to dox them. And I'm like, look, I'm not doing it to this poor lady. I'm, just, I'm sure she has it rough enough as it is. Exactly. Brutal. Exactly. Best radio sports talk shows. Skinny one with this one. National or local or either or. I think they're just asking period for what, what you like to listen to. I, I love Dan Levitard. I thought that show was so good. Yeah. Do you ever listen to his uh, podcast or no? I don't. See, that's the funny part. I, I don't. I I don't either. I'm, just a, I'm such a creature of habit that most of my radio listening, I know you and I are different because you're a connoisseur of podcasts and, 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 and sports talk radio. Almost all of my listening is if I'm in the car. Yeah. I'm at home, I'm probably too busy to listen and just I usually have TV on in the background rather than radio on in the background or podcast on in the background. Uh, but I, I thought Dan Levitard's show was outstanding. And honestly, I thought Tony Kornheiser as a host was outstanding. I know he's not for everybody. And maybe he's the old guy that I'm the old guy in me, but I, I liked him too. Yeah, I, I loved the Levitard show when it was on air. And I would have thought that's a podcast that I would have listened to, but I for whatever reason, I find it hard for me to get into the daily shows from a podcast perspective. Most yeah, of my podcasts yeah. are weekly Anichi, things or yes, correct, two or three correct. times a week. But the daily yes. show that's just like constantly going, I find it too hard to keep up with. And and that's how I like to consume those shows. Those shows that are like a daily, constantly going conversation. I like to listen to it every day if I was like driving or working at that time. Yeah, but it's I, not really a thing I follow on podcasts. I don't go out of my way, but I, I enjoy Dan Patrick's show, too. I used to like that one. I haven't listened to him in years, but I, I think they do a nice job overall. The, the 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 crazy amalgamation that's either on Fox Sports in the mornings if I'm driving or the ESPN abomination of, of Max Goofnut, Keyshawn, Jay Will. Oh, God, that show is bad. Horrifying. It's just it's awful. And, and the show on Fox with LeVar Arrington and Brady Quinn and whatever the other guy's name is. I don't know. Jonas not two pros and a cup of Joe is even worse. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one, but uh, I do. I don't do hardly any national sports talk radio at all. I, I like I I turn that off immediately and everything is so easy to get a podcast up and going now with your phone in 10 seconds that I just immediately go to a podcast if it's national yeah, sports it, talk radio. I listen no, to all the local guys. I do, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, 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 you said I, I'm a big fan of Mo and and known him for a long time. And and you mind Tony and Austin, I think, do a terrific job. It's It's very listenable. Yeah, I enjoy Lance and Mel. Always have. Lance I've listened too, yes. to them since yep. I was young. And yep. and uh, the Tony and uh, Tony and Austin show. What I like about it is it's something new. They they're just like they're not taking it seriously at all. They goof around a lot the whole time. They try to make jokes. They don't always land, which is makes it even more fun. Better. Sometimes. Yeah, no, I, yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, like I I just I think they they've done something different and they've done a good job with it. So it's 
it's it's been fun to to follow them starting up. But yeah, I, I like all the all the local stuff. Um, but from a from a nationals perspective, I don't do really any national sports talk radio shows. It's almost all podcasts. And and honestly, I don't listen to a whole lot of sports podcasts anymore. A lot of it's other stuff now. Look at you branching out in your life. Yeah, I'm I'm a very cultured guy, as you know. No question. There's no doubt. I think as I'm, as, people, you're... I, I'm listening to other podcasts as I break down uh, college basketball film on synergy. <laughs> There you go. What a life. Yeah. What a life. All right, Rick, join it as always. We will be back next week and maybe talking Xavier in the final four. We will talk Reds in opening day and maybe a little bit more Bengals free agency news and much, much more. Thanks for listening. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re-edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.